0: Fathership, Lord, as we uh, come together to serve you in, in different ways, not only here on Wednesday, but Sundays, and in different outreaches like the one in Mexico right now, and the, the youth and their, the, their outreach to uh, the kids, and, and then Christmas caroling, going to homes. Lord, it's so good to serve you and, and uh, minister to the people that are unable to come to church. Even those watching, there's several watching on the internet tonight. We pray that you touch their bodies, Lord, and encourage their hearts with a word. So, Lord, we commit ourselves now to the study of your word. I pray as we open the Bible, you'd speak to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, for the last 14 months, as I've told you, we've been in the book of Exodus. And beginning the first of the year, I should say, next year, we're going to get into numbers. That's actually... The next service that we'll be having, a week from tonight, we have no service because it's the day after Christmas. You guys are going to be busy with your family. So there's no Wednesday night. Yes, Sunday night, Christmas Eve on Monday night, no Wednesday night next week. So if you come and there's nobody here, it's not the rapture. It's just you forgot. (laughs) You forgot that it was. And so um, next week, the office is closed. Uh, The staff has the week off, and I think a lot of you guys have the same thing. I keep hearing people that have time off, so it's going to be a neat week, but we'll be here on the Sundays for sure, and then the very first Wednesday night, which is the 2nd of January, a week from next Wednesday. the sec- We'll be back, and I'm going to start Numbers, so we'll start the book of Numbers on the first uh, Wednesday night, and the continuing story that we're going to finish tonight here in Exodus chapter. 40 here. Now, you remember last week, I just reminded you that the end of Genesis led us into the book of Exodus. The end of Genesis was the story of Jacob and his sons that were, that were brought, God providentially brought them all into Egypt because of uh, Jacob's youngest son, or one of his younger sons, Joseph, who had been one of the established uh, leaders in Egypt because of his obedience to God and his love for God. And after the famine, Jacob and his other sons, the other 11, ended up in Egypt. It was God's way of getting his people there, uh, as I've told you. But. A- as the years went by between the time at the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, there were 400 years. And during that 400 years, the 12 sons and their families, which was about 70 at the end of Genesis, turned into two or more million 400 years later. Why? Because God blessed them. He told told Abraham, I'm going to bless your family and you're going to have a great nation. Well, there they are, and they're all in Egypt at the very beginning of Exodus. But in Genesis 15, here's the promise. I shared this with you last week. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs and will, and will serve them. Remember, the, the children of Israel were captives. They were slaves there in Egypt, and they will afflict them 400 years. There's a lot of debate about how many years they were there, how many years they were afflicted. I mean, you could debate that, really, because when they first got there, Joseph was a favored leader. So they weren't afflicted at the beginning. But as the pharaohs died and new ones came into power, the Hebrews became less and less, Joseph became less and less, and then the Hebrews ended up being oppressed. So the Scripture says 400 years. I'm sticking with the Scriptures here, the 400 years of hardship and slavery that the Bible talks about. And then God sends his special messenger, Moses. And there were two epic events that happened through Moses. There's the ten plagues. To get God's people out of Egypt and toward going toward his goal, the promised land, he sends ten plagues. As you know, they get ten commandments for the new people and the new nation. And uh, we went through that first portion, all the way through Exodus chapter 20. Then From chapter 20 on to 40, the second half has been all about the tabernacle. So we've been studying for months about the tabernacle of God, how important the tabernacle is. Tabernacle, tent, movable sanctuary, built so that God could come and dwell with his people. That was God's purpose. That's what he wanted uh, for them. He's always wanted to be with his people. And in chapter 29 of Exodus, we see this quote, Genesis or Exodus 29, here it is, "And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may." Here's the word: dwell among them. I'm the Lord their God. This has been God's heart. He's wanted to live with His people. He wanted to dwell with His people. So he's going to be directly connected with them. He's going to be with them in the middle, the word midst in the King James and New King James. He's going to be in the midst of his people. That's what he wants. And that's the amazing reality of the scriptures, that God has always wanted to dwell with his creation. All the way back to Adam and Eve. But sin separated God from man. But God has always done all he can. The Old Testament is a story of redemption. Exodus is the greatest picture of the redemption of man because it's where God sends a messenger, Moses, who becomes an intermediator for the people of God between man and God. Moses is a type of Christ. Beautiful imagery. We've looked at it clearly as we have watched the tabernacle being built, and that's what the last 20 chapters are all about, the building of the tabernacle where God will dwell with his people. So from Exodus chapter 25 all the way to 39, we get not only the blueprints, but the how it was built by Beziel the builder and, and how special it is, how beautiful and ornate this tabernacle is. So now we pick up the story in verse 18 of chapter 40 as they set up the tabernacle. They're setting it up in front of Moses. Verse 18 of chapter 40. So Moses raised up the tabernacle. He fastened its sockets, set up its board. Now, he didn't do it himself, but he's overseeing all this. Put in its bars, raised up its pillars, and spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering on the tent top of it. The Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, put the mercy seat on top of the ark, And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded Moses. He put the table, verse 22, in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table in the south side of the tabernacle, and he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 26, he put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in the front of the veil, and he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle, and he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered upon it burnt offering and the grain offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the lava between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. In Moses, verse 31, Aaron and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting, and they when they came near the altar, they washed, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up all the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and hung up the screen of the court gate, so Moses finished the work. So the people are watching as this movable sanctuary is being constructed. All of the, their gifts and offering came from the people. They were generous in giving. They were, the craftsmen put the elements, the articles, the The different, uh, the lava, they built those things. Beziel, the builder, and his skill and craftsmanship put it all together. And so before their eyes, it's coming together. Again, you have to, the idea is is the walls that that were around the courtyard were, they were solid poles set on these 250-pound silver bases with this beautiful white linen see-through veil that fluttered in the way. It was a beautiful structure. Absolutely gorgeous there in the desert breeze. And so the people are, can you imagine how exciting exciting this would have been for them? Because it was just, you know, a few chapters back that, that and, and a few months before this that they disobeyed God and they made a gold calf and they danced before the Lord and the Lord said, I'm not going with you people, remember? But in the grace of God, God allows and forgives them and then he allows them to give and he allows them to build and they build. And now they put it together. They're excited. God's coming. They've done their best. They're obedient. Finally, finally, they're obedient. And in their obedience, they're seeing the structure go together. It must have been something as it took shape there. The beauty of the curtains, the, the beauty of the colored fabric, the multi layers that they put on the tabernacle. Now, as we come now to verse 34. You have to remember, they've given everything to construct it, to build it, and they're watching now as God, in all his glory and splendor, is going to come and fill the tabernacle. This is actually uh, amazing. It's it's a beautiful sight that they're going to see, but they're in awe now. And God is going to manifest, this transcendent God, you have to keep in your mind, That God is unknowable unless he wants to be made known. You and I have not the capacity to know God. We we can't know God. We can't commune with God unless he wants to be known. And he wants to be known. And he's known in different ways. It's called theophanies in the Bible. And so this is a theophany of God. He's seen in a cloud, in a mist, in his Shekinah glory, this, this wonderful Uh, manifestation of his glory here. And from this point on, verse 34, throughout our study in Numbers, which really we're being introduced to Numbers right now, God is going to lead and guide his people in this way, with a cloud. His presence is in this cloud, or represented, manifest in the cloud. Notice verse 34, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. Not the courtyard, not the whole encampment, but the tabernacle of meeting. The cloud is covering that. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. So now we're getting kind of what what we're going to see in Numbers. The cloud, this cloud is guiding the people. This cloud represents God. This is a, a physical manifestation of God, of the cloud. So when the cloud moves, everybody knows okay, Martha, pull up the tent stakes, you know, pack up the bags, we're moving. Because there goes the cloud. The cloud was the, these people wanted to be with God. God wanted them to be with him. And so the cloud is what moves. And the pillar of fire as well, as we'll see. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey, verse 37, till the day it was taken up, verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over the tabernacle at night in the sight of all the house of of Israel throughout all their journeys. So Moses is giving kind of a real quick synopsis. Okay, this is what they did for their whole trip through the desert. Now, God is with them. When God moved, either the fire at night or the cloud by day would move and all the people would move under the cloud. Now, if you're in the desert, you'd want to be under the cloud. If you're in the desert now, you want an umbrella or something to be under to protect you from the sun. So God is, this is God's presence. He's protecting the people with a cloud and the heavenly night light. You know, all night long there's this light that is burning this fire above the tabernacle. I'm afraid of the dark. And you look, oh, there's God's presence. He's right there. He's right in the midst of the people. I mean, think about this. The manifestation, the physical manifestation is that close. He's close to the people. He's always wanted to be close to the people. And really, that's what we're seeing here, this cloud or the visible manifestation of the glory of God. Now, again, you can read more about this in different accounts. We're going to see more in Exodus. In the book of Leviticus, we studied on Sunday night. We actually saw this in more detail where it talks about how the cloud moved and the, the children of Israel would move after it. But, but here, Moses kind of focuses on this This scene where God has now come and filling, His glory is filling the uh, tabernacle, which is a fulfillment of a prophecy or one of God's promises. It's in Exodus 3. Look at this verse behind me, Exodus 3, verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land, Here's the promise, to a good and large land, a land flowing with what? You know, milk and honey. That's God's promise. Moses goes to Egypt and said, they're slaves. How are they going to get out there, out of here? What's going to happen? How's God going to do this? God had a plan all along. And he made a promise all the way back at the beginning of the book that we've read. And now he's going to lead them. How? By this physical manifestation of his presence. Now, I'm going to call this cloud, just for sake of study and, and for fun, back in verse 34, the glory cloud, because that's really what it is. It, it's a re- revelation of the glory of God. It's His Shekinah glory. But this glory cloud in verse 34, notice it again with me. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, as you remember, God has manifested Himself in a cloud in different places in the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus. And specifically here in the book of Exodus, the cloud was seen on top of the mountain. Remember, on top of Mount Sinai, there was a cloud. Every time Moses went up there, the cloud came. And the people, the millions of, of the Hebrews that were down at the foot of the mountain, they were trembling. What's the cloud? It's like a volcano going off. The cloud comes around the top. And God met with Moses in the cloud, but it's always been at a distance up until this point. This cloud was identifying God's presence with the people. I, I've called it the glory cloud. But this is an example of what's known in the scriptures as a theophany. Theophany is just a Greek word, two two words together. Theo is God. And the other word, it's, it's, it's not Phony at all. That's not the word. It's phony in the Greek, which means to show. So you have theophany means God to show or to show God. This is God's presence in this cloud. This is a theophany of God, a visible manifestation of the invisible God. It's the visible manifestation of the invisible God. A transcendent God that you and I cannot know unless he chooses to reveal himself. And he has. For us as New Testament believers, he reveals himself in many different ways. He reveals himself in the pages of Scripture. He reveals himself as we look through the Scriptures in different ways. Old Testament, you have Christophanies and Theophanies. In the New Testament, Jesus came personally. It's a beautiful truth about the Old and New Testament. So God has chosen to step into time and space. The invisible, unknowable God is knowable, in this case, in the Old Testament, in this theophany, this cloud, this Shekinah glory, this visible manifestation. Again, the first time Moses encounters God, he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed, the burning bush. So that's the first time that Moses encounters God. It's it's in this burning bush. But is God a bush? No. The the unknowable God is making himself known, theophany, in this burning bush. And he talks to Moses through the bush. And uh, again, the cloud. God is manifesting himself in a visible way. In chapter 14 of Exodus, when Moses had just, really exited Egypt very quickly, rapidly. They left Egypt in a hurry because Pharaoh says, get out of here or I'm going to kill you. Why? Because all the firstborn Egyptian sons were dead. There was a great cry throughout the land. Get out of here. We're finally done. The other nine plagues didn't get them, but that 10th plague, get out of our land. So Moses takes the 2 million Hebrews and they go, and they go, and they go, and they go, and then they end up at the shoreline. They can't go any further. Remember what it was? What was it? Where they get to? The Red Sea. They couldn't go. They're, they're all these people, they can't, we can't go there. And the Egyptian army is coming behind them. Do you remember what God did? He put a cloud. It was a cloud in between the, the escaping Hebrews and the advancing Egyptian army. God manifested himself In a cloud again. And then in chapter 16, the people, they've been in the desert for a few weeks, really. We don't have anything to eat. It was better in Egypt. At least we had roots to eat and all that. Remember that? They complained and they whined and whined about not having any food to eat. So what does God do? shows up in a cloud. You can read about that in chapter 16. And from the cloud comes two things. Manna every morning, and what else? Meat, remember? Quail. So the cloud represents the physical manifestations, the theophany of God. And then obviously the cloud on Mount Sinai. But there's a difference now in verse 35 of of Exodus as we get to the end. A big, big difference. In all of those other examples, God's far off. But notice here in verse 35, God came near. Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested. Remember, they're building it. They're right there. They're they're constructing this tent. They're all around it, putting it together. And then Moses has to step back because God is that close. He is that close to them. He's not far away anymore. He's right in the middle of their encampment there. God has come down. This this kind of reveals some of, of what theologians call the transcend, transcendence of God, and the conden. Um, uh, let's see. The, I have to say the right words here. Where God came down, He came down, He's He's uh, unlike any other. He's the unknowable God that becomes knowable. He's pure. He's mighty. He's glorious. No one can stand in his presence. No one can be directly with God unless God allows them to be there. In fact, Moses, remember in the, his encounter, several or many encounters on the mountain, he says, God, I, I, you're so gracious. You're so, I just want to see you, remember Moses? I want to see you, God. Show me your glory. Show me yourself. He's talking to a burning bush, and he wants to see God. And you're going to see God kind of say, well, you really can't see me, Moses, because if you did, you'd die. But, but, but because you want to see me, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you, but I have to protect you with my hand, remember? He said, I've got to put my hand, and I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to protect you in this place. And then I'll sh- my glory's going to pass by really quick, because if I stood there in your presence, you'd just melt. You'd die, because God is holy. He's pure. And so God protects Moses, it's in Exodus 33:20. Here it is behind me on the screen. He said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. So God protects him and when you go on in that story. So God says, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand and I'll pass by. Then I'll take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So just another wonderful, wonderful truth about God. God's transcendent. God's above all. He's not like us. No human can stand in his presence and live. No one has ever seen God. Moses, you know, is this friend of God. He, he sees him. Now, who did Abraham see? Abraham saw Christophany. We see Christ in the Old Testament revealing himself in many places. But these theophanies of God, you can't see God. He doesn't have a body. But he makes himself known, fire, cloud. The cloud of glory is what you see uh, throughout the Old Testament. Again, God, here's the word, he condescends. God condescends. He, He again reveals who he is and and this is one of those other theological, uh, beautiful truths in the Bible. That God has made himself known and that God condescends He comes down to his people. And that's what we see here in Exodus 40. That God condescends, he, he comes down and, and into a visible sign so that these people can see him. And this is the same God, remember, that spoke the universe into existence. This is the same God that created everything that we know. And so he's bigger, greater. Uh, You can't even express it with words. But he condescends. He comes down in this chapter 40 to the tabernacle to be with his people. Remember, the tabernacle is not that big, 15 by 45. So, like, from that back wall to the front of the pulpit, 15 feet wide. And it's filled with the town. So much, it's so full, so bright, so Moses has to step back. God's presence now is in there. But isn't it interesting that the God that rules, that creates, that's sovereign, that's self-existent, has no beginning, no end, chooses to dwell in a tent with his people think about that that's God's choice because he wants to be with his people. this is what he's revealing that's what Exodus really is all about. This is God's redeeming his people and he comes down and he puts himself in this tent where his glory is does that sound strikingly some familiar to anything else you know especially at Christmas time that God, Came down and he dwelt in the form of what? Human. Why? Because he wanted to save us. It's this, Man, if you're not stoked on the Old Testament, you should be. And I, I believe that those of you that have been in the study this year have learned a whole lot. Uh, this, this study has been so good. Just studying the, the Old Testament. It's John in the New Testament Chapter 1, verse 14, who says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the glory of God revealed in human flesh. This theophany that the children of Israel are experiencing as God comes into their very presence in this tent to dwell with them. Should make you smile from ear to ear. I love the truth of that. A transcendent God, condescending into the form of a man. Only one man. Here's the verse, you know it. Philippians 2 it says he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus came as a man to die for our sin. I I love that truth. This Old Testament tabernacle pre-pictures Jesus coming, the eternal God coming in the form of a man. Again, I hope you see that, that perfect picture that God is showing, revealing. The infinite infant, I've preached a sermon on that. I might even do some of that this Sunday. The infinite infant. Think about that, God becoming man. Charles Wesley wrote the the Christmas carol that we love, my favorite of all the Christmas carols because of its theology. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. the the theology in that hymn. Wesley was a pastor. He wanted some songs that his congregation could sing that contained some rich theology. But he wrote another song that goes along with the theme that we're looking at tonight, and he captured it in this song. In these two verses, I've never heard the song. I don't even know the music. I just read some of these lyrics of the song. I'm just going to give you one little portion of one stanza It goes, let the earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree, to praise in songs divine the incarnate deity. And then he says, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. I love that. That's in his song. He wrote that again, this different song, not Hark the Herald, but this other song. And it's here in Exodus chapter 40 where God manifests himself in a cloud. He comes to live with his people in that tent. He wants to be near them. He wants to lead them. He wants to guide them. He wants to protect them. They're alone in the desert. They don't have weapons. Remember, they were slaves. What do they have to protect themselves out in the desert? So God's going to protect them. and God's going to move them with a cloud and the fire. He's going to protect them and watch over them and lead them to the promised land. Again, It's such a beautiful picture of of God's provision for them. God loves them and he wants to protect them. So he came near to them. I thought about another song that we sing at Christmas. And you can sing it too if you come Saturday at 9.30 away in the manger. The second stanza of that song, and I'm sure you know this, Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Just that whole idea of being near to the Lord. We sing that at Christmas time because that's the amazing reality. So God comes to be with his people here in chapter 40. He finally comes and he's in the tabernacle in what we see as a glory cloud, this theophany or visible manifestation of an invisible God, God condescending. It's an amazing truth, it's a beautiful truth. And the application is obvious here. The same way that God came to protect his people in Exodus 40 is the same thing that Jesus does to come and save you and I from sin. And not only that, in Exodus 40, it's very clear. Moses has to step away. He's so close to the people. Everybody knows it. God's here. God's going to protect us. God's watching out after us. Whatever the problem is, and you can apply this to your life even tonight, whatever your problem is, God is with you. We have the the manifestation of God, Holy Spirit in our lives. God is with us. He hasn't left us. He won't forsake us. He's always with us. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. And just as he said to those people, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to get you through this desert wilderness experience. I'm going to get you to the promised land. He gives us the same promises too. Whatever you're going through, he'll protect you. He'll watch after you. He's a faithful God. And just as he manifested himself to these people, he makes himself known to you and I. Now notice in closing here, we see in the last couple of verses here in verse 36, did I put 36 through 38? Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. So from this point on, that's what's going to lead them. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day uh, that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, the fire over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So again, God is guiding his people with a cloud of fire and the cloud, or the cloud uh, by, by day and the fire by night. And they would go where the cloud went. they pull up stakes and move with the cloud. God was leading the people exactly how he promised. Here's another great verse in Exodus 33 verse 14. He says this, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. This is the promise in Exodus 33. And here's the fulfillment in Exodus chapter 40 and the book of Numbers and how God leads and guides them. That's what we're going to look at now as we move into Numbers next year. Again, Israel was weak. They didn't always obey. Dancing naked around a golden calf wasn't really a a good historical move that they made. But God's presence was with them. He wasn't going to leave them alone in the desert. He was going to provide for them and get them to the promised land. The writer of the Hebrews, which is a book we're going to start studying next year on Sunday night. We're going to go through the book of Hebrews beginning, uh, I think it's the 6th of January. In a few weeks, we'll start that study. But the writer of Hebrews says, God will never leave you or forsake you. Just like he was constantly with the children of Israel as in their water. God is with you. God is with me. Good times. Bad times. Trials. And victories. God is always with you. And I believe that our lives coincide with the wanderings of the children of Israel as they wander and they're not sure where to go and they have to trust the Lord and walk by faith, just like you do, just like I do. We have to trust the Lord and walk by faith. When God saves us, from the moment He saves us, He promises never to leave or forsake. We just need to walk trusting and walk by faith. He's always protecting us. He's always guiding us. The book of Exodus is a great example. And now in the New Testament, as a believer, I I can look back for my edification, for my instruction, and then trust the Lord and walk by faith. In closing, Paul in Philippians 1 says this, and I love this verse, and you probably do too. Being confident of this very thing, Paul says, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. God showed up in that tabernacle, and he got them to the promised land. God has forgiven you of your sins, and he's not going to forsake you. He's going to get you there. You just need to trust him. He's never lost anyone. God doesn't lose people. You and I do, but God never loses anyone. He began a good work in you. He will complete it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the study tonight, the conclusion of this glorious book. Thank you, Father, for all the wonderful lessons it's taught us. Thank you for even this evening's topic of the glory cloud and you as an unknowable, transcendent God, making yourself known, condescending to the world first in the form of a cloud to lead your people to the promised land. And it all pictures your plan of redemption to send your very own son into this world. Christmas, Jesus becoming a man, living a sinless life, dying on the cross for our sin. Oh, Father, your plan is so glorious. We love you and we thank you and we bless you tonight. Lord, that we might walk faithfully with you, that we might walk obedient to your word. I just pray, Lord, that you would bless our fellowship. Thank you for these committed Christians who come each Wednesday night to study the word. I pray, Lord, that this coming year, as we study a new book in the Old Testament, that you would reveal its truth to us and we would continue to grow and mature to the fullness, the full stature of Jesus Christ. May each man and woman, Lord, mature and grow as we study your word. We thank you in Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand together.